Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam. Joined as always by Don Pizzette. Don, how's it going up there? It is going swell. You know, uh, 2021 is off to a great start. We got some really neat stuff coming up today. Uh, I mean, really cool news articles, but a great guest too. So I'm looking forward to today's episode. I can't tell if that's sarcasm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I saw that meme the other day. It was like, boy, uh, December 37th is... Uh, <laughs> Of 2020 is horrible. Well, you know, we always try and find that mix of tech news, and today it's almost all security stuff because yeah, 2021 perfect. is turning into a dumpster fire. So you know, there we go. <laughs> all right. So that, that's good for the show, not yeah. good for humanity. <laughs> right, right. And Daniel, how are you doing over there? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm ready to get into this show because, I, you know, I love security-heavy stuff because I like security. So look forward to today's articles and guests. Yeah, you'll like that because our guest today, as we alluded to, is uh, Preston Duran, who is the Director of Cybersecurity Operations at Fortified Health. Health Security. Preston, how you doing? I'm good. How you doing? Uh, I'm not bad. And apparently it's a, it's a good time to be in security or a horrible time. <laughs> yeah. Maybe depending Weird on perspective. Uh, yeah. <laughs> For you, sure. Yeah. I, th- I think it's a good time. Uh, well, uh, Preston, let's just jump right in and get to know you a little bit in our first segment, Rapid Fire Questions. What do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? Done. All right, so <laughs> I know. See, I, I, I said 2021's mess. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so in this segment, we've got our rapid fire questions. We're going to throw some questions at you. You'll have approximately one minute to answer each. You'll see a timer appear there on the screen. If you take too long, Peter will buzz you, and it will sound like this. I got buzzed. Uh, and then we'll move on to the next question. So let's kick things off. Uh, first question is coming at you from Peter with an R. Yes, it is. <laughs> Reader. Uh, so my question, basically, just uh, what do you guys do at Fortified Health? I know we we met you a couple years ago at an event, um, but uh, most of the people out there probably haven't heard of you. So can you enlighten us? Absolutely. So Fortified is a uh, we're a hundred percent healthcare focused uh, MSSP, and we specialize in healthcare information security. Um, we provide purpose built solutions and services to help healthcare organizations kind of evaluate their risk. Um, strengthen their existing security posture and really just improve their operations along their security journey. Um, our services really kind of fall into three buckets. We have the advisory services, um, which is things like uh, virtual CISO, um, which we call VISO. We have risk assessments, things like that, um, high trust. Uh, then we also have the SOC services, which are the things that fall up under me. So uh, when you think, you know, when you hear 24 7 services, SIM, um, you know, managed endpoint detection response, stuff like that. That's me. Uh, and then finally, we have kind of a threat assessment and intelligence services. And what that is, um, things like penetration tests, vulnerability scan, dark web monitoring, and things like that. All right. Now, you operate in the healthcare industry. And I know many years ago, we had HIPAA compliance come out. So the healthcare industry had all sorts of new requirements for cybersecurity and protecting uh, customer patient (laughs) data and all. And so I I really figured that the healthcare industry would have a leg up on cybersecurity. But lately, we've been just hearing about breach after breach, malware, ransomware running rampant through hospitals. So what what have you seen change in recent years? Because what was in place in the past just hasn't been quite effective. Sure. So I'll address the first part of your question or your comment, and then I'll answer the question. So, you know, with all the laws 
um, the, the, you know, the HIPAA stuff and omnibus that's come out. So why is, um, why is security a little bit farther behind? Well, if you think of the CIA triad, confidentiality, integrity, and availability, um, most industries are going to care about confidentiality, right? If I'm in banking, I'm going to care about integrity. My account number is written on my check, but I don't want my direct deposit being messed with and it rerouting to someone else's account, right? And healthcare availability is most important. Um, we have to have systems up uh, to provide efficient patient care. So when you approach it from um, an availability first perspective, uh, sometimes that means the security can kind of lapse behind. So to kind of answer that question is like, what, what did we observe on the front lines? Well, you know, really in, in February, March, as, as everything kind of started happening, um, we saw a lot of phishing attacks and a lot of kind of attacks against users and remote access. And then really in the summer, things really calmed down. It almost went quiet. Um, in hindsight, it went quiet because they were kind of compiling all these com compromised credentials and getting access to domains and, and networks kind of behind the scenes. And then around August, it ticks back up and they start deploying all these strategies of things like Cobalt Strike and um, Emotet and things like that. And then we were really engaged on the incident response side. So it was really interesting kind of seeing how that cycle happened. Yeah, that kind of like brings me to what I was thinking about when it, it comes to more targeted type of attacks. We saw with you know solar winds, you had nation states coming against you using third party bolt on stuff to get access into those systems. When you're trying to defend against ODAs, how do you do some? How do you do that in a field like such as your own? You know, and it, it, that's that's really tough. So ultimately, kind of the canned answer is is defense in depth, right? There's not a single thing that's going to to save you from everything. And, you know, a lot of vendors will kind of put that out there is like, this is the thing that saves against all zero days. But in reality, um, you know, really just having multiple strategies and good firewall rules and monitoring your traffic and having a SIM and, and reviewing your logs and, you know, MFA and training your users, you know, kind of the whole strategy together is really what's going to help you when those things happen. And Don, I'll just point out, I think you said it right before when you said um, healthcare has customers. Uh, in America, it's, it's customers. Right. Maybe Honestly, I wish I was treated more like a customer because then I'd be like, I will go to your competitor. <laughs> I'm always yeah. right, and I do not have cancer. That's Hospitals right. treat their customers the same way Google does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so I want to ask one more. So you, uh, you kind of come from a background where you actually worked for specific healthcare systems, and now you're, you're in that MSSP uh, kind of environment. How did, did that experience prepare you for um, what you're doing now, or do you find that every um, every healthcare provider is, is pretty different in how their networks are set up. So, I mean, you know, really it, it was a good thing. Um, you know, I've made the move several times deliberately. I've worked at uh, some of the largest healthcare organizations on the planet with, you know, 100,000 plus users. Um, and being able to see and work in multiple um, healthcare networks and, and really, you know, healthcare companies, not just a single hospital, it allowed me to work with a lot of MSSPs. So it allowed me to kind of see what I liked and didn't like and what worked and didn't work. So I really think it's a good strategy being able to kind of jump back and forth so that you don't forget what it's like to be on the other side of the desk. That makes a lot of sense. And I want to make sure we didn't just give you softball questions today. So um, finally, uh, how would you get RCE via an XXE attack? How would I what? <laughs> I, I didn't hear the question. How, how would you get RCE via an XXE attack? How would I get remote command execution via a XXE attack, cross-site scripting? Uh, external entities. Oh. XML external I, entities. I, 
Yeah, I, I think you won already. That you. The That's that you way behind my level. When I was a pen tester at some point, I'm sure that had been an interesting question. But I'm in management now, and that's way. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I, Wait, I, I, no, I, I think he can leverage this though, right? So you can leverage your management experience. The way I would get that remote code execution is to delegate that to my pen <laughs> testers. <laughs> I would outsource it That's to an right. MSSP. That's right. That makes sense. <laughs> All right, well, speaking of which, I think that leads us well into our next segment. We, we have a segment where we ask our guests what they hate. And you said, you know, I, I don't hate that much, I, uh, especially when it comes to tech. I, so we changed the segment for you to what mildly irritates you. So uh, I understand you've got two things that we want to get to with uh, what mildly mm-hmm. irritates you. And the first one is people that are saying no all the time. What, what do you mean specifically there? Yes. So... Uh, you know, when I was a young security engineer, and I think that a lot of younger guys fall victim to this, is you have this mentality of what security is and, and that you're this data cop and that your job is to, you know, secure the network above, above all else. That's the only thing that matters. And that's really the wrong mindset. So, you know, really what we want to be doing is understanding that we're here to support the business and um, then helping the business make those decisions, right? It's not even our decision to make, it's our decision to inform. And you know, what, I found, what I found is when I approached the situation from a kind of, no, you can't do that, no, you can't do that, then they would just stop involving me and they would just go do it on their own anyway. So when that happens, you know, I'm out of the loop and I don't even know about the risk. At least if we have a conversation, I can kind of help uh, drive the decision. So the way I kind of ultimately approach it is instead of saying, no, it's saying, well, what are you trying to do? Let me give you a better way to do that. Um, and, you know, a good example of not uh, kind of understanding business is, especially in, in healthcare, is account lockout policies. So I'm, what I'm about to say is, is probably unpopular, um, but I feel that it's the truth. Account lockout policies, as they've been deployed, don't make sense. Um, you know, we I know of hospitals, and I've worked at places that have, you know, you, you fail your password three times and you're locked out until – you call somebody and, and show them your elbow and, and stand on one foot, and that doesn't make sense. One, if people don't really do that type of brute forcing much anymore, you're usually going to do offline password hashing that's you know hundreds of millions a second, um, or you're going to fish, right? Why would I go through all this trouble when I can just look on LinkedIn, who's your HR person, look on your website, say, hey, you're hiring for this position, make a fake resume, send it to them, you know, when they open it, it gives me a reverse shell, right? So, and if we th- if we think about it, account lockout policies exist to staff help desk. Um, that's all it's kind of turned into, into being. I mean, you know, I think that there are certain use cases for it. And I think we should have it, but with the, how fast you can do brute forcing, even if you set it to 20 or 30 attempts and then it automatically unlocks after a minute, you still kind of eliminate the ability to do most brute forcing, but you've also enabled the business to continue running. Um, so that's kind of my first one is looking at it through a siloed lens and not understanding the business. Um, and then number two. Well, hold on, hold on. Uh, first, I, I want to make sure D- Don, Daniel, agree, disagree on those points. Agree to an extent. I mean, there, like you said, it's um, it, it doesn't make sense to put such harsh restrictions on users to make it just so. I mean, three three attempts is a pretty low level of. Um, even five. Yeah. Even five, yeah. You know, put it up there. Yeah. I think it becomes a bit of a moot point, though. Like, if you got MFA in place, then it doesn't really matter anymore. Well, you know, right? you're right. MFA would be the better way to go. I always have the employee. But you th- I think of things like, the first thing that popped in my head was, 
you know, macros, right? Macroviruses were horrible. So what did Microsoft do? They stopped enabling macros by default. Macros Macros were gone. No more macroviruses. And they were like, hey, there's no more macroviruses. Let's turn that on by default. And then they went, oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then macroviruses (laughs) came back. So that, that was where I started, like, worrying that if we took it away... Would we then see an influx of yeah. brute forcing again? So rate limiting would be that good middle right. ground. Yeah. Right. Okay. So mild yeah. agreement. Yeah. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. And yeah. so the yeah. the second point that you have is one that that I'm most curious about because it sounds like I have a lot of self loathing uh, myself <laughs> based on you know just my upbringing, but but it sounds like you kind of hate yourself here. So explain here. <laughs> well. So, you know, I, I talked about working at, at, at other, other side of the desk and, and healthcare companies. And, um, and what I found was that I hated MSSPs. And I know that's odd because I work in MSSP, but that gave me a different lens to, to look at. And I'm not just kind of saying this to shoot my own horn, but, you know, a, a good example of, you know, is, is value versus perceived value. And if, if I'm just working at an MSSP and that's all I know, then... I'm going to understand value not as what it really is. An example of that is um, volume, alert volume does not equal value, right? So I don't want you to just forward me alerts all, you know, that don't really matter. I, I want actionable items. Um, and what I mean by that is if I'm on the internet, I'm getting NMAP scanned all day long probably. That's part of being on the internet. Not much I can do about it. I can go on the firewall, log into the firewall, block on the firewall, and then in 10 minutes, it's a different AWS address scanning me. That's not really actionable. There's not a whole lot I can do with that. Um, so it doesn't take long of doing that before, essentially, I just create a folder in my inbox, and then that's where all those emails go to die. And that's not really how, you know, MSSPs and clients should engage. So, you know, no, no network whack-a-mole, the whole block this, I'll block this, I'll block this. That's not really you know, what I'm looking for if I'm a client. What I'm looking for is give me the actionable stuff. If they inmap me and they did this and they did this, okay, well, now we've got kind of correlation. We've got multiple things that I can go do something about, not just go block on your firewall. Um, you know, I'd rather send 10 meaningful, actionable things a month to a client than 100 things that they don't really care about. So, you know, I always tell my my analysts, you know, don't don't forget about the big picture. Tell the story about what happened. You know, we're not alert forwarders we are investigators. And so we go threat hunt because we love to do this. And, you know, and then the other thing is transparency. Um, you know, I, not having access to the tools that the MSSP had access to, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't like that because I always assumed they were doing their job, but I had no way of, of kind of verifying that. So, you know, for me really, you know, a lack of value and a lack of transparency, um, mildly irritates me. So, mm-hmm. so you're, you're mildly irritated by the prototypical or stereotypical MSSP, not necessarily fortified health. Correct. <laughs> okay. Yes, yes. I feel like yeah. a therapist this week. Instead. I, yeah. I think you can broaden that pretty much to any service provider, though. Yeah. Like When you have an internal team, they have a vested interest in not just protecting the company, but making sure the company is successful, financially responsible, and so on. When you're a, a service provider... Uh, on one hand, you want to help these companies be successful, but on the other hand, you're trying to pay the bills, right? Yeah. You so, kind of feel like a mercenary a bit, you know, yeah. where I, I really don't have your flag on my wall, but you're paying me some money, so yeah. I'll do what you need me to I'm do. A hired gun. <laughs> yeah. And you might be willing <laughs> right. to take more risks because, like, hey, if things go south, you just move on to another customer, <laughs> yeah. right? But if if you actually work there and things go south, you're out of a job. Yeah. Is that so. Fortified's motto? The, the... <laughs> it's, uh, it's something like that. But, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, essentially – you know, as, as we approach it, 
if if I'm just blasting you with junk all day long, right. then you're just going to start ignoring it. Well, right? Yeah, the so boy I, cries wolf yeah. in that space. Anybody yeah, that's it, been exactly. an administrator has done that. Yeah. They made that folder where the email go to die. I've got that folder right I've now. Got, I've got that one as well. <laughs> I call that my inbox. <laughs> yeah. It's labeled Peter. <laughs> so, uh, so, Preston, but before we let you go here, uh, I understand you guys recently put out a uh, Horizon report. Can you tell us what that, what that's all about? Absolutely. So, uh, starting in about 2017, um, we started writing this really comprehensive report um, that it, it kind of goes over the state of security in healthcare. Um, and it is healthcare specific, but it, it's absolutely relevant to things outside of healthcare. I mean, you know, we have our own attacks in healthcare and our own kind of industries and, and stuff. But overall, what we're seeing is kind of what everybody else is seeing. Um, so we talk about things like breaches, um, incident response plans, how to do tool rationalizations. Um, and even like our predictions for the upcoming year, and then we kind of go back and say, okay, what were our pr- predictions last time and, and how close were we? Where, where did we get on that? So um, we just released that report. It's a, it's a really interesting report. Uh, you can go on the website, fortifiedhealthsecurity.com, and um, get it for free. It's right on the main page, a clickable link, and, and it'll be sent to your email. And spoiler alert, the abstract is just, yes, it's bad. <laughs> the, the state of the... Yes, it's bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not good again, just like last year, still bad. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Inside the report is just a link to yeah. a, a YouTube video of a dumpster fire. Yes, <laughs> still bad, still bad. We're working on it. Optimistic about next year. And so, obviously, you said uh, the URL again? Fortified? Uh, it's fortifiedhealthsecurity.com. Fortifiedhealthsecurity.com. And that's where someone would go to if they're uh, in the, the healthcare space and, and we're looking for uh, NMSSP as well. Absolutely. So, yeah, so check that out. Well, uh, Preston, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. And we appreciate uh, finding out what infuriates or <laughs> not infuriates, uh, oh. irritates you mildly <laughs> and, uh, and all that. So, thanks, uh, thanks for coming on today. Thank you. And uh, everybody stay tuned. We've got more Technado with Don Pazette coming up right after this quick break. This is Kevin. He's studying online for a Microsoft certification and using another online IT training service. He's also on his second pot of coffee today to stay awake. And this is Kyle. He's also studying Microsoft but using IT Pro TV. Rather than watching a boring voiceover PowerPoint, he's actually enjoying the training with two hosts in an interactive format. Both Kevin and Kyle have access to virtual labs and practice tests, but Kyle can also get help through a live chat with other IT Pro TV members and his instructors, as well as post to a Q&A forum. He can even search for exactly what he's looking for in the interactive video transcripts, all while paying less than Kevin. Oh, and Kyle can also watch in comfort via Roku app. Kevin and Kyle are both learning IT. But Kyle is enjoying the journey. Want to be more like Kyle? View the plans to start your IT Pro TV membership today. All right, welcome back to TechNado with Don Pazette, and thank you so much to Preston for joining us and giving us uh, a fun look at, at the state of security. And it's, it's, it's rare to look at security and, and smile. Fun, a.k.a. depressing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah but, well, we, but we laughed about it. So oh, We did, so that makes it okay. Yeah. Well. But uh, as Don mentioned, we've got a lot of news today, and specifically a lot of uh, security-based uh, news. And what, does this first one count in, in the security world? Not really. No, 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 no you know, So this All first right. one's a little bit weird because it's not a news article. It's actually a Twitter thread that I came across, and uh, I thought it was really engaging. I want to talk about it on the show. Yeah, so this is from Dan Rose, uh, at Dan Rose 999 and uh, it starts, I'll just give you the first one because you can, you can read it to the rest at your leisure. Uh, it says, I was at Amazon in 2000 when the internet bubble popped and capital markets dried up and we were burning $1 billion a year. Our biggest expense was our data 
center, uh, expensive Sun servers, and we spent a year ripping out Sun and replacing uh, with HP slash Linux, which formed the foundation for AWS. And then he goes on to uh, give the backstory there. And so what, you just, you hadn't heard the story before? And kind no, of I, I had not heard the story. I mean, I had heard um, <clears throat> details that kind of surrounded this story, but never from somebody who was actually involved in it. You know, every now and then, You'll find somebody who is a part of some great moment in IT who has a, just a phenomenal story. And, and if you run into them at a conference or whatever, you get to hear that story. But for somebody like this, I don't, I don't think I've ever even seen Dan Rose in person. I've heard the name. Uh, but he shared on, on Twitter this story about Amazon back 20 years ago. And he was talking about really the origin of Amazon Web Services. We know today it has over 60% of the cloud market for the entire world, this massive juggernaut that most of us couldn't imagine not existing. Like a ton of the services we use all rely on AWS. And he shares the story about how back then they had all this hardware that was tied up in Sun servers. And Sun was incredibly expensive. And they took a huge risk when the market bottomed out and switched to Linux. And they, you know, they were really in, in a lot of danger doing that. They came, they say, within three months of going out of business, uh, but then were able to actually pull it around. And, and, and now they've become this, you know, giant juggernaut that we can't imagine not being there. Yeah, I think this was back before Amazon was making a profit because they were, they were one of those companies that for the longest time wasn't making a profit, but was yeah. growing and funding that growth. But so, so this... Uh, I always just assumed Amazon one day said, hey, this is a, a business opportunity. Let's go make this this cloud computing platform that, that people can use. But it sounds like they made it for themselves and then said, oh, this is marketable. Yeah, they, they had all that hardware in place. And uh, apparently it was Jeff Bezos's idea. I, I didn't know it actually came from Jeff where he said, look, we've got all this hardware that we really just need in November, December, holiday shopping, right? And the whole rest of the year, most of this hardware is idle. Couldn't we rent that out? You know, if you're a mom and pop and you're starting up, why, why should you have to build your own data center? Why should you have to get your own generators? Why not just rent ours? And that set the stage for it. So, like, you know, he, a lot of times we hear about these CEOs and we don't think of them as being heavily technical people. But in the case of, of Jeff Bezos, he, he had this idea and, and he wasn't the one who implemented it. Obviously, right. his team was, but they went on and did it. And now that's a, a business model that's reflected in Azure and Google Cloud and all these other places. It's a phenomenal story. So if you're ever bored, uh, it doesn't take long to read through all the tweets, but it's a fun glimpse at history. It, it makes me wonder. I mean, this this seems like it was pre-virtualization, really. So were they renting out the bare metal, the actual server itself, before they started virtualizing everything and they had... You know, obviously, still big bare metal data centers, but this was then have multi tenancy environments. How was that working? You know, I, I don't know which came first because hmm. they, I, I know as long as I've worked with AWS, which has been a very long time, they've always had bare metal rentals available. Hmm. Uh, so you can do that right now. I mean, they, they label it as having a, a dedicated host, yeah. is what they call it, but at that point, it's basically bare metal. You're the only tenant on that piece of hardware. Uh, so they've had that available. I, I, I don't know which one was the original, though. Hmm. But. Interesting. Yeah, really cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that and he even compares it now. They're uh, today they're in the process of ripping out Oracle, and so you know Sun was this nice, safe place for them to be. They moved over to Linux. Oracle actually ended up buying Sun Microsystems, but uh, oh, yeah. but now what, I was like, I thought Sun was Oracle. Right. But no, we're no, thinking no, back time. in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and so now like. <clears throat> Uh, Amazon is paying Oracle. I, I saw it at one point, several hundred million dollars every year for Ooh. their database services. And so they're working on getting that out. Uh, and it's just another one of those uh, uh, epochs, I guess, yeah. in, in technology. And that's how Elon Musk became the world's richest man, right? Yeah, <laughs> he's, paying, he's paying son way too much money. <laughs> Did you see his tweet? 
No. So uh, Elon Musk. Yeah, this morning. Or not a not a, not a news story. Uh, yeah. But but he overnight became the richest man in the world because of stock prices, uh, and his response to it was, "That's interesting." <laughs> oh well, back to work. And that's it. That was his tweet. <laughs> oh, I was reading something else that that he he mentioned a word yesterday on Twitter. Oh, and it ha- and it happened to be a company's yep. name too. And so all oh. these people went out and bought that stock. No way. He's talking so, about this, and the, that company went way up. We do have a news article. We're going to talk about uh, uh, Facebook's privacy on iOS here in a minute. Uh, but basically, what is their messenger WhatsApp? Yeah, WhatsApp. WhatsApp. So uh, Elon Musk said, "Don't use WhatsApp. Use Signal instead." And Signal oh. is a open source, end to end encrypted. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, a lot of people when they heard Elon Musk endorse that, they're like, "Ooh, we need to invest in Signal." But they're a nonprofit. You can't invest right. in them. But there is a some kind of healthcare company or whatever that was Signal Advanced. Oh, gotcha. Signal now the world's largest healthcare company. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and their stock price went from sixty cents to over thirty four dollars a oh, share. Oh my! God. <laughs> there were some people like, I am rich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really understand the stock market. So if you're this company and your stock price jumps up like that, I guess if, if you own shares, you'd have to sell them. To yeah, you'd have to Correct. sell them to get yes. So they're, they're selling today right now. Yeah, right. exactly. Oh, yeah, <laughs> they are straight up dropping those yeah. things. Yeah, Elon Musk, he's the richest guy in the world, but you look at what is liquid you know, versus what is just right. the value of Tesla and SpaceX right, right now yeah. and all those things. Well, I got, I got to tell you, I got to get off of, of Twitter right now because that's where this story is. So if you want to check this out, uh, it's at Dan Rose nine nine nine. But I mean, just on the right hand column, it tells me what's trending, and we've got um, Chuck Norris as and, it should, and Pelosi <laughs> loves cat turd. So I, I just don't even want to be on Twitter right now. I thought you were going to say no. I have to get off Twitter because I have a legal restraining order. And <laughs> yeah. I'm not allowed to be within three hundred yeah. meters of Twitter. <laughs> All right, our next article is from TechRadar.com. As Don was alluding to, Apple's privacy labels reveals WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger's hunger for user data. They have the worst records among messaging apps. So, um, and then Elon Musk <laughs> tweeted, "That's interesting. Back to work." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, uh, you know, Apple has announced some changes that they're going to be introducing new privacy tags in the iOS App Store, so you'll be able to see the information that apps want to have access to, and they're requiring developers to make it where people can opt out, where you're not being forced to pay with your personal information anymore. And so, in this Tech Radar article, they did something really cool. Or actually, hang on, they were citing Nine to Five Mac, so check it out on Nine to Five Mac. Um, um, so on the 9to5Mac site, they did a cool mapping of the permissions that various apps request. And so one of them was Signal. And Signal needs nothing. There's no data linked to you in the Signal apps. End-to-end encrypted, that's the whole purpose. Then they did iMessage. And iMessage had six things, six data points that were basically linked to you. And then they showed WhatsApp. And WhatsApp had close to, I would say, 30 different things that, mm. that linked the device to you. And when I say things, I mean right. Wi-Fi networks that you've been near, Bluetooth devices you've connected to, websites you've visited, cookies, all these different things. Things that are remotely relevant. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Whatever helps you sleep at night. <laughs> well, compared to the next one, Facebook Messenger. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then they show Facebook Messenger, which has over 100 things Holy that crap. it harvests from your device to link you and your behaviors and your activity. And it's this ridiculous list, things you've purchased, all of your contacts, uh, I mean, just your location, mm. tons and tons of information. And most people don't even realize it's happening. 
right? They just run their Facebook yeah. Messenger and they send their mom a happy birthday message. Meanwhile, Facebook is literally harvesting yeah. every bit of data about you. If we thought of it more like that scene from The Matrix where those big, like, spidery-looking things are it's picking that, people yeah. up in pods, then probably people would get a little more afraid of what's going on. It just <laughs> pops up. All your data are yeah. belong to us. Yeah, that's it. All right. I hated all the... Uh, Christopher Nolan Batman's. Oh yeah, Christopher with, Nolan. Uh, which one had um, Christian Bale? Yeah, Christopher yeah, Nolan. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember there was a, a scene in there? Morgan Freeman had some oh, yeah. tool where Batman could turn on all the cell phones and use it as like a sonar to figure out could where you are. See, every, it was like yeah. total BS, right? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't want to spread panic, but Facebook can totally do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not panic yeah. if it's real. Yeah. And they can see you naked. You know, even it's when funny. You have your it on. made me think about like. <laughs> The inherent right to personal privacy and started like re just reading stuff about this it was like, that's right. You know, people forget that we have this like natural right to being private. I wish I could just go back to the days where I paid you for a service and you gave me the service and there wasn't all this obfuscation and things like, yeah, just uh, agree to our terms of service yeah. and we're going to take a bunch of that data and make a bunch of money. And it's going to be awesome. We're going to kind of influence you in ways we want to influence you and do all sorts of crazy stuff. I just want a service and I just want to give them money for Remember it. Remember when you used to like... I I want to play Angry Birds, so I'll pay 99 cents, right. and now I've got Angry Birds. But but not anymore. Now it's, oh, you've got to buy a little Golden Eagles yeah. and gems no. and tokens, and yeah, it, the society's gone mad. So, yeah. Don, I want to clarify <laughs> something you said before. Um, so, you know, it'll list the things that are available to you, and you can opt out. In the old days, opting out meant... Uh, no thanks. I'm I'm not going to download this app. That was how you opted out. Or you know, <laughs> yeah. in Daniel's example. Yeah, throw away your phone. And now we're back to that <laughs> that former way. But are you saying that you can say no? I don't want to give them access to this and this and this. But I still am able to use the app. So uh, Apple wants to put the mechanisms in place where you're able to choose. Okay. But it could still potentially break the app. That's going to be up to the vendor. Now this is one area where GDPR is going to come into play because uh, according to some of the European privacy rules. You cannot prevent somebody from using your service based on their privacy preferences. So this is one where we'll have to see how it shakes out. Nice. Right? Uh, Facebook, Facebook knows they can't abandon the iOS app store, right? So this is a real face-off between Apple and Facebook. Now, both companies have a ton of money, right? Both companies have slightly debatable morals. I'm really curious to see where this one's going to come I, out. I saw a shirt the other day that said, make 1984 fiction again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I really feel like... As a consumer, we don't win either way. Like Apple wants us to be in trapped in their ecosystem, right. and Facebook just wants to take all our data. Yeah. And I, I'd rather not have either, but that's where we're at. Yeah, yeah. So I, they're basically saying, "Yeah, hey, you don't want to give all your data to Facebook, all the data that we already have. You don't, you don't want to give that to yeah. them." Just I'm starting to look at Linux it. phones. They look really interesting. Yeah, but you know, if you go with a Librem or you know one of those, what was the what was the one I saw? And it looked the really pine cool. Phone. Pine phone. Yep. That's what it was. You go with one of those things, and they suck. Like they're. The, the hardware... I don't know. I just saw them, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> well, the, you know, the, the hardware. Well, is... if I'm not using all these bullshit apps, maybe it'll run fine. <laughs> so they they're they're working on an open source budget, right? Yeah, so right, I, right, the right. phone certainly works, and it certainly respects your privacy. So you've got that, but it, it's it's not got a billion dollars in R and D behind it like an iPhone or a Galaxy S twenty one would. Can I make a phone call and text people? You certainly can. Get email. 
Uh, probably. I'm good. Yeah. Can I, can <laughs> so, I play Worm? But, uh, you know, a lot of us have come to expect our phones to do way more than they should. Yeah. Uh, I think it was during the Black Friday sales where they were saying, like, over 50% of sales happen on mobile devices. Wow. So people expect how, that. How do people surf the web on their I see watch my wife do this all the time, right? She's on her phone. She's surfing the web. She's looking stuff up. And I'm like, I have to go get my laptop. I cannot look at this. It makes me literally want to go insane and smash it against a rock. I think I did 95% uh, I, of my Christmas shopping on, oh my, on my phone i cannot year. i don't know how you deal with that i browse the web on my phone all the time oh my and goodness. i have the iphone it mini is painful <laughs> it is that's, super that's why you're painful. getting lasik right yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I like my tiny phone jeez that is real. i gotta i gotta pull out the bad boy here and and so i can see everything and yeah you're old that, that very well may be true Get the iphone <laughs> max or you know Whatever, the huge one. <laughs> just walk around yeah. here carrying an iMac. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to make some like phone. harness device where it stick in front of it. It'll be like in the 80s, you know, the boombox. Oh, yeah, hell yeah. Except it'll be a you know, widescreen monitor. I could, I could like sticker it up. It'd look cool as hell, right? Yeah. And then we could start like breaking right in front of everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and a cardboard on the other hand. Yeah, yeah ready to go. All right, well, let's move on to our next article from ZDNet.com. Let's do that again. All right, here we go. <laughs> Ubiquity tells customers to change passwords after security breach. Data for, uh, dataforui.com accounts was accessed in mysterious data breach. Mm. All right. If you are not familiar with Ubiquity, well, you probably are. But uh, if not, they are a manufacturer of low-cost wireless and networking devices. So if you want to do a mesh Wi-Fi network for a business, Ubiquity is a cheap entry point. So usually like under 100 bucks an access point. Uh, they come with this cloud software that allows you to centrally manage them, which is really awesome. So you can bring up new access points really, really easy, do firmware updates and, and all of that. And really, I mean, it's like uh, a fifth of the cost of doing Cisco Meraki. Now, nice. I'm not the hugest fan of Ubiquity. I've had, I've used them in the past. They've been kind of flaky. And in fact, just back in October, so four months ago, we ripped out all the Ubiquity stuff. I, here I was in the thinking of that scene from uh, the remake of um, uh, The Italian Job. I had a bad experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, we ripped all the stuff out and, and switched it with Cisco Meraki because we figured paying five times the price was worth it for Wi-Fi that worked. <laughs> and so five times the service. So that's what we did. Uh, um, but they had a breach. And it's a, it's a pretty bad one, right? Now, they do have uh, salted and hashed passwords, so that's good, right? Your password's not compromised. But if you think about it, Ubiquity has centralized cloud-managed servers that control your Wi-Fi access points, switches, and potentially firewalls, depending on what devices you bought from them. If an attacker is able to compromise that, they've got full access to your network, and you'd have zero visibility that that was happening because they've controlled the network devices. So this is pretty bad, uh, and it's really going to affect small business and, and home office, maybe even some medium-sized businesses, because this is low price point stuff, yeah. right? Enterprises, the people who have the resources to protect their network are buying better equipment. So this is a pretty big danger flag. Um, I did get an email from Ubiquity actually at 3 o'clock right. today, uh, or no, not 3 o'clock. Uh, oh, no, it was 3 o'clock. Yeah, so about 45 minutes Real ago. Real quick, what data was accessed? Uh, so they're not 100% sure, but it includes things like your mailing address, your phone number, and information about the devices that you so, had connected. So user data. Uh, user data, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That seems to be important to a lot of people. What, what's the point? Of, weird. What's the point of uh, hacking poor people, though? <laughs> I mean, because uh, they can do things like identity theft, um, make money off of you, or influence you in certain yeah. ways, and or they can leverage your network as a relay to mask their activities. Yeah. Right? You know, you hear about these state-sponsored attacks from uh, you know Soviet hacking teams. Well, yeah. they don't want to yeah. come from a Russian IP, so they'll bounce through these compromised providers. Or if I'm a hacker and I steal this data, I can then sell that data 
to Ubiquity's competitors on the dark web or people that just want to harvest data for analytical purposes and advertising purposes. Yep. So you can make money off of this stuff. That's why it's so like valuable. Yep. So be aware, if you have Ubiquity equipment, this is not a rush-out firmware type thing. Mm. This is a problem on their cloud servers at their home office. Uh, so they are fixing it. You will need to reset your password. You've been sent a message. And honestly, if you haven't gotten the message and you use Ubiquity, go ahead and reset your password anyway. Always configure MFA, uh, but know that your data has been released. It's, it's already, you know, that, that chip has sailed. Yay! <laughs> for the record, that back. Yeah. for the record, I was being facetious. I think poor people have every right to be hacked, um, <laughs> just like the rich. Their data is just as good. Yeah. <laughs> now, what, what would happen there if they like you know pass a law and said it, it, it it's only it, it's okay to hack rich people, not poor people? Like would <laughs> like some Robin Hood law? <laughs> would, would hackers follow that? Like, well, I'm not hell, no, they what? wouldn't. They don't give a damn about what that. rule. Do give them an hackers out, though. Yeah, like, it would be an out for them. That's the only reason they would like it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for malware, uh, you know, if you're looking to get Bitcoin, that's the way to go. If, yeah. you're, if you're looking to sell the data yeah. after the fact. Yeah. See, I would want to use the device itself and CPU capabilities sure. and everything to... And then it doesn't matter whose yeah. device it is. And that's why you're not rich. Yeah. And I also <laughs> don't break the law, Don. <laughs> Whatever. I'm saying if I were a bad actor. Ah, got it. <laughs> you don't break the law and mention it on yeah. your podcast that's right yeah. don you got them ubiquities right <laughs> <laughs> we do actually have them in the cabinet back yeah there. that's true <laughs> <laughs> all right our next article is from threatpost.com nvidia warns uh, windows gamers of high severity graphics driver flaws so are the is this flaws like in terms of uh Again, avenues for people to get in and yes. mess up my data. Yeah. So, uh, you know, anytime you have a compromise or an exploit that's available inside of a hardware driver, that's a problem, right? Because mm -hmm. hardware drivers typically operate in kernel space. They have low-level access to your operating system and the things that it does. Now, the headline says they're warning gamers, but the reality is there are NVIDIA video cards in tons of computers out there. Even oh, Daniel, you're pointing yours. Oh, mine too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got an we MX both have NVIDIA's. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, Daniel and I, we both have these Lenovo business laptops, and they just happen to have NVIDIA cards in them. So I'm accessing them right now. <laughs> we're, uh, we're affected by this as well, and that's the, the the real kicker here. People don't think about their graphics drivers, and I'll, I'll tell you on my computer at home. I, I run the NVIDIA driver, and I get these messages from time to time about an update, right? Mm. Well, every time a new video game comes out, NVIDIA pushes out an update to their driver, right? Hey, Cyberpunk 2077 came out. Uh, load our new game-ready driver. Well, if I don't play Cyberpunk 2077, what do I do? I say, well, I don't care. I'm not going to update because I don't want to <laughs> reboot or make my screen flicker. Plus, updates break everything. Right. <laughs> so this is a great example of a company that has worn me down with pointless updates for stupid video mm. games. But you know now I might potentially miss this security exploit and not apply an update that's truly important. So I, I hope that more people speak out about this to NVIDIA and others that, hey, you need to, to be a little more clear about what's an optional update versus what's a critical update. This one is critical. You need to update your graphics driver if you have NVIDIA gear, which a lot of people do. This is not a, hey, Cyberpunk 2078 came yeah, out. It seems like this would be a good place to put like some sort of business model where... If you wanted to, it's it's weird how I'm going to put this. I want to opt in to the model that allows me to always opt into security, right? Yeah. So I I yeah. want to just get give me updates, give me things that I that you know that I need, and only if I'm in a specific environment 
where I would need to have an opt-out option or to choose yeah. an opt-out option that I wouldn't get that and I could control it a little more. But the question then is, like, does the latest security update not work on your version? Well, that's what I mean. Like, if yeah. you're not in the, one of those high production environments where things can't go down, you know, okay, oh, it, you know, it broke. I just got to, you know, hit a rollback button and it, and it takes it out. That would be easier for me as an end user yeah. that, don't, that doesn't have to worry about that stuff. And it keeps me more secure because we've created a more secure environment by nature, per se. Right. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it would be better if they offered that. I know it's probably more administrative and uh, overhead and stuff for them, but it just creates a more secure ecosystem. And then the problem yeah. is, that as a, a marketer, I will say, uh, you know, even if they created this new just critical update uh, infrastructure where you could say, I only want the critical ones marketers are still going to find a way to go well that that would be a great thing to put in our new you know <laughs> well and, and of course it's all based on that you decided you wanted to be a part of that it's not yeah. like they just forced you into it and, and that's how it's going to be and you had to opt out of that every every model would be an opt-in you make the choice and once you made your choice you're good to go yeah but when, how long before that line is blurred between what we as we soon as they do critical. something you yeah. didn't ask them exactly. to do yeah one thing they haven't mentioned is that these cards are used heavily by like Bitcoin miners, but also are available. The NVIDIA grid cards are mm. used in AWS and other places where you can rent GPU instances. And so I, I don't know if those are affected. I don't know if they use the same driver or not, but the driver that you use in desktops uh, and workstations, they are absolutely affected. Make sure you get that update done. Unrelated, Don, um, because you mentioned Bitcoin, I, I just you know keep seeing the stories about where its value is right now yeah did you ever find that old wallet that you couldn't find because oh, i remember no, that, it was fun. like ten thousand bucks and we were like <laughs> you're like oh, i can't find that thing i know it had a bitcoin in there so yeah there was one bitcoin actually i think it was like 1.1 1. 1 or something you had like one that, bitcoin i had a bitcoin yeah and now it's worth way back much? in the it's beginning like uh, when when it was all new and experimental i yeah. I, I set up a miner just to, to see how it right. worked yeah, it's what right. i do i tinker with new stuff and right. so i mined a coin uh and what was its value at that time probably Twenty Less bucks, than, oh, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. It might have been because I, I was not like a day one early adopter, yeah, yeah. so I think it was already at about twenty one bucks when I mined it. It was, it was, it wasn't nothing, but it wasn't enough for me to care about it. Right, and so I left it in a wallet. It's enough for and, you to care about it now. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, it was forty thousand last week, and it's down to thirty three thousand now. Because I'm, I'm betting a lot of people had, you know, limits set. Hey, when it hits forty, I'm selling. Yeah, yeah. and you had a big sell off. There was an article about a guy who, uh, for whatever reason, he had seven thousand bitcoins stored in a on an iron key. Hmm. And he uh, he can't remember the password. Oh, oh man, I'd be working on that password. You get ten guesses, and he's burned oh, eight so no. far. And so he's got two more guesses. Though the wallet at this point would be worth two hundred and twenty million dollars. Well, so now, what happens? It, it like it would corrupt the data if mm -hmm. you hit. 10? Yeah, it wipes oh, itself. So I. I I kind of think the story might be BS because yeah. who has seven thousand bitcoins and forgets a password? <laughs> even even if there were twenty man, bucks, that's a I'm lot of money. I'm tattoo that crap on uh, my arm or something. But like. uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah the new LastPass. Yeah, just tattooed passwords on your arm. I want like a, a, a decaying <laughs> yeah. thing so I can I, always see it. Like I said, I, I did read that story. I didn't bring it into the news, although now I've covered it. So we might as well have. But uh, yeah, uh, because I figured if it was seven thousand bitcoins and he had and they were worth one dollar each, yeah, like that's, that's enough to not grand. forget a password. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so I, I think that story suspect. Well, hopefully, uh, if, if that it's does like come about, we can every couple of months somebody says that they are what is it Satoshi or whatever the oh yeah the, the guy, guy that created that, yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, you are not liar. Uh, all right. Well, our next segment here—that's uh, that's it for the normal news. But we've got a couple of WTF things to talk about. So uh, let's head to WTF. What the 
All right. Uh, Calm down. All right, this article comes from Wired.com. Uh, Post-riot, the Capitol Hill IT staff faces a security mess. When Wednesday's insurrection could have exposed congressional data and devices in ways that have yet to be appreciated. And so when, when this first happened, the first thing I saw was people taking screenshots or pictures of open uh, devices that weren't locked when people yep. immediately left their desk. And initially I, I thought, well, that's bad. But then on the other hand, all of that email and stuff is available through Freedom of Information Act. So is it that bad? But, Don, you've, you've got a little more insight there. All right. So, um, you know, you might have wondered <laughs> <laughs> how, how we can do this podcast and not talk about the giant news story of the year, and mostly because it's not so much an IT-related thing, right? So there was a uh, you know, violent riot slash insurrection slash whatever in uh, in Capitol Hill this this week. What? And Yeah, yeah. It's, it's led to some pretty crazy happenings. And in the United States, obviously, this is very important, but the world watches for a lot of this stuff. So I think pretty much everybody would have heard about this. Now, I want to talk about it from this, the standpoint of IT, right? You did have where uh, unauthorized people were storming a building, and there really wasn't a great policy in place for how to handle that, right? Yeah, who's the risk management assessor on that one? <laughs> the incident response plan apparently did not account for that, right? So, uh, so you had many lawmakers that were taking cover on the floor or just fleeing, uh, which is honestly smart. <laughs> so, but there were computers that were left unlocked, right? Because who's going to think about that? Like, whoop, here comes the insurrection. Let me, oh, Windows key L, is that it? Uh, Let me <laughs> lock real quick and then all. But no, you just run. That's what you do, right? That, that's step one. Um, well, wait, uh, Patrick Swayze would yeah. say, what is step one? Step one. For um, collect the underwear is uh be nice, right? Oh, or, be not no, yeah. Or is that, that's three. He doesn't say no. It's be nice. Yeah. Okay. And then step two is take it outside. Yeah. And, yeah. All right. Yeah. So anyway, the point is, <laughs> but I digress. That, that would have all applied. So <laughs> it would have. So uh, uh, you know, these people run, and you have computers that are unlocked. So yeah. In theory, some of the people that stormed the Capitol building had access to computers. Now, those computers are for lawmakers. Lawmakers operate at a very high level of U.S. government, which means they have access to information. And some of it is freedom of information, right? But they could modify things. And now that's a whole different can of wax, right? Well, we, and we talk all the time about physical access versus remote access. So, you know, if, if, even if I got in and I saw, oh, you had a post-it with your password on there, you, know, you sure. could change that later. But, you know, if you could... Just pop a USB key in there and load something that you yeah. come back to later. And there were papers and documents laying about. And there are classification levels. Not everything is covered under freedom of information. So sure. if there were uh, top secret or even secret classified documents that were available in a desk, which is a very reasonable thing to do, right, then a, uh, a writer may have had access to that. So it is a huge issue. They do believe that at least one laptop was stolen. Many computers were damaged. You know, fire extinguishers mm -hmm. were set off. Um, but it just shows that... If you work in IT security, there's it's really difficult to plan for every eventuality. I doubt anybody working IT for the Capitol building thought about what if people just storm in, like a huge amount of people that can't possibly be stopped. And uh, if you were in law enforcement, how hard a decision is that? To, do, do you fire on the citizenry? Like that? That's a that's a tough call. So we end up in the situation that we're in, which is we have no idea what people were able to access or, or maybe nothing, right? Maybe everything's fine, but you can't assume that, right? You have to act as if that data was compromised. So I've never worked, you know, as, as an IT person or help desk or anything like that, but is there a way that they could have some sort of, you know, kill switch at, at the top level to say, you know, hey, I'm going to shut down everybody's computer right now on the way out or even force out, 
updates to say your computer will lock after one minute of inactivity or things like that? Yeah, but think about the timing on this, sure. right? Yeah. Uh, how much head head start did they have? Right. If you were that IT person, how long did it take you to realize, I think those people are in the building? Yeah. <laughs> right? Hey, they might get to the computers. And then, yeah. you know, by the time you push that out, and, and let's say you had a clean desk policy. At the end of the day, you have to put all your papers in the desk and lock the drawers. No papers allowed to be on your desk. Well, this is the middle of the day. Yeah, it's 1.30 in the afternoon. Right. People are going to have yeah. the stuff on their desk. And they're going to have the drawers unlocked. So I, I don't think there is a great way to react to this in a timely fashion. And, and you know, I was kind of poking fun at the risk assessor. Honestly, the risk assessor would say, this is probably a very low risk yeah. that this would kind of thing would happen. Therefore... You know, we're not going to worry about that as much as other types of security. Yeah. The building could get hit by a meteor tomorrow, right. but I'm not going to buy meteor insurance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're not building a giant, you know, transparent aluminum dome. Dong. That would be kind of cool. That would be kind of cool. But I will say the risk of something like this is obviously higher at the Capitol than it is at, you know, your your normal uh, well, Fortune 500 company of, pe of people infiltrating to... But get data. Yeah. In the last hundred years, how many times has it happened? Uh, hold on, let me check notes. The Canadians did uh, it. Yeah. In the, the 1800s. 1800s. Like, not, not in this century. They set century. fire to the White House, didn't they? Didn't they? And it Something. took out all the computers in the building at the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. George right. Washington was like, oh, ye old email server is down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it reminds me of the, the data center that was attacked. This was a long time ago. Uh, where the attackers didn't even get into the building. They just went to the air conditioning units and stuck rods in the yeah. air handler fans. Overheated them. Yeah, yeah. And, and that shut down the data center. So, you know, that will do it. It may be that whoever was responsible for IT security never even thought of that. Like, hey, if my chillers go right. down. It's uh, really hard to try to think of every angle, man. It's yeah. Just, yeah, he's probably running out job. going, oh, I should stick rods in the air conditioners right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, this And this is why we do threat modeling and yeah, sure. vulnerability assessments, penetration well, tests, that kind of stuff. Well, this kind of leads us to the uh, next topic within this uh, WTF segment of uh, another article from ArsTechnica.com. Amazon cuts off Parler's web hosting following Apple and Google bans. Uh, so the Apple need to find a new web hosting uh, by Sunday or go offline and... Uh, well, so we're going to talk Spoiler about this without alert. talking about... <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> alert. They won't. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, again, this is another hot-button political issue, and I don't want to tackle it from the political side. I want to tackle it from the IT side. Aww. We've all got our opinions. Yeah, we do. But uh, this highlights something interesting, right? So if you're a startup and you need access to infrastructure, you need servers, you need network bandwidth, you need security features, cloud solutions are a great option, right? So we can deploy into Azure or AWS or Google Cloud, right? And once you deploy there, they have tons of features that you can take advantage of, bells and whistles. Most of those bells and whistles only apply if you stay entirely in that ecosystem. So if I'm entirely in AWS, I can have my servers running and my backups, and I can do geo-redundant replicas and use CloudFront and all this stuff that I wouldn't have in Azure. I'd have to use something totally different in Azure or in Google Cloud. So cloud vendors give us tons of functionality, but they also give us tie-in, right? Mm -hmm. they, they want you to stay in that one ecosystem. Now, imagine, not, not like Parler, just imagine you're a regular run-of-the-mill company and you have one employee who goes a little rogue, right? And maybe spins up an AWS instance and starts running BitTorrents out of it, <laughs> right? So, uh, you know, hey, we've got our website and our databases and all that's running fine, but now in this VPC that I don't even know about, there's this BitTorrent client running. And uh, he's and, making that money. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, you know, just bootlegging videos yeah. or running porn or whatever it is that they're doing out of there. And so I violate AWS's terms of service and so they cut me off. Right. Mm. Well, with a flip of a switch, I just lost all my company infrastructure. Everything's gone. 
right? And if I'm if my backups are in AWS, <laughs> gone, right? Yeah. So you know that. What that, do I do, Don? <laughs> that highlights a huge danger. And then yeah, what, what do you do now? Yeah. I will say in the case of AWS, you could probably reach out and talk to people and so on. If it's Google, Google does not talk to their customers ever. Yeah. Literally, like they yeah. do not talk to their customer. So you have no recourse. No, wow. you know, if you're lucky, you can get an article promoted up on Hacker News until somebody <laughs> in Google notices it and says, oh, we look pretty bad this yeah. time. So, so this says, though, by Sunday, so I'm assuming in this case, they didn't just cut them off. They said, we are cutting you off. They gave them 24 hours. You've got yeah. They okay. said, you've got 24 hours to move to another platform, which is oh, not, realistic. Was, yeah, yeah, not realistic. This is not realistic. You know, the uh, whoever the CEO of Parler is, he, he came out and said, yo, we're fine. We're planned for this. We don't use yeah. any features that, that wouldn't run on bare metal. Uh, we'll, we'll be back up. We just right? got to go to another provider. But yeah. uh, it didn't make the 24-hour cutoff. They went offline. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, funny thing happened when that 24-hour notice went up. There were several security researchers who said, oh, Parler's going to go down. I we better scrape that data while we can. So I heard that that was a hoax as well. Yeah? Yeah, because apparently there was another parlor data scrape hoax that had happened earlier and then i heard somebody i'm not don't quote me on okay. this i'm just throwing this out there as a possibility i think someone was saying that that data scrape was also a hoax i'll have to figure it out because yeah, I'm, i want to look into that they're saying like 80 terabytes of data was able to be scraped yeah. off of parlor including private communications and deleted videos which would be personal pretty data uh, <laughs> hey, yeah that's valuable considering it's a free speech platform and people yeah. probably said all sorts of crazy things but well the other thing i was reading though too is that that they were using uh people were posting their videos and things of um, of the actual riot and they were able to look at the metadata because they were posting just the oh, raw right. videos and things and say yep you were in dc on this date and this time so i'm able to track that back to your account and yeah. and potentially you know use that in in the fbi's ongoing investigation mm. so yeah. yeah so i'm 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 pulling up on threat post here where they're they're citing um the security reacher goes by the name of donk nb Sure. E-N-B-Y, nice. uh, who yeah. she's the one who's been leading this to, to rip all the data. And she says she's setting up an archive that people have access okay. to. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see. You know, yeah. either way, like it's a fact. It, Parler is yeah. offline oh, they, right now. You can't go there. It's not there. And and I've heard of other companies like with G Suite where something happened. If somebody sent out some spam, they violated a TOS and G Suite was shut off for the whole company. Yeah, you know, imagine that, losing all of your email uh, and Google Drive just overnight. That, that I could see that hurting a business. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you talk about this, the only thing that I could think of as a comparison is companies that rely so much on their their search ranking that you know mm. we're a, a mom and pop shop and we sell um, this product and we're number one in this keyword and so that's where our business is and you do one thing that violates the algorithm for google search query all of a sudden you're you're blacklisted for x number of days or or permanently and your business goes under i mean it's the yeah. same kind of mm. thing where you're held hostage to that i mean you have even less control on that environment because there's not like you can say, well, I'm going to move my stuff to Bing then <laughs> because it it's doesn't a, work that way. It's a delicate balance, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and they, if, if they change their algorithm, you, you don't even know that that's yeah. coming. And, and all of a sudden, like you said, Don, you cannot get a hold of someone uh, I mean, at that, Google. That brings up an interesting idea of like, let's, let's forget the idea that you're getting, you know, snatched because you've accidentally or whatever violated terms of service. What if they change the way they do something and your whole business model is dependent on that yeah. that's how they do it and now that's changed well, to, what to, do I do to quote Wu-Tang uh, you Wu have to diversify, diversify your funds yeah, yeah. yeah you do you do I uh -huh. Wu-Tang yeah. Wu on uh, Chappelle's show cash rules everything around me <laughs> that is true that's true and on that to, to note quote Wu -Tang. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to quote Wu-Tang on that note uh, I want to let you know about was a couple that ODB? things coming up <laughs> I, I get them all mixed up yeah, yeah.
That's the only Red one Man, I know by Method name. Method Man. Oh, yeah, Method Ghost Man. Ghostface Killer. Red oh, Man, sure, Method Man, guy. Ghostface Killer. Yeah, yeah, ODB. Yeah, okay. I know them all. RZA. Uh, <laughs> all right, this weekend, yeah. uh, January 16th and 17th, we're having a free weekend. You know, like HBO used to do those free weekends where you could um, watch all the- I loved that. The real sex as a teenager. I mean, or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Apparently, you loved it. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. I don't know. It's, it happened. Um, uh, yeah, you can watch the old Larry- Sanders show or Gary Shandler. What, what was it? Um, what was that show that was, that was P- not Peter? Yeah, Peter David was it? Uh, it was with uh, Ar- not Arrested Development. I want to say Arrested Development. That's not it. Curb your enthusiasm. Curb your enthusiasm. That yeah, was Larry David. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was super popular though. Yeah, it's a great show. Yeah. Arliss. Well, <laughs> our equivalent of that is available for free this weekend, uh, January seventeenth, <laughs> which is of course CompTIA IT Fundamentals, Linux Essentials. Uh, Microsoft 365 Fundamentals, which is MS900, uh, Hands-On PC Build, Cisco CCT Routing and Switching, and ACSP macOS Support Essentials, all free this weekend on the ITPR TV platform. All you got to do is create a free profile, and you can uh, binge those courses on January 16th and 17th. And I feel like in the past, uh, if you just stayed home all weekend and watched that stuff, you know, it would be a sad weekend. But now you'd be an American hero because of, you know, COVID. So stay home. Binge. Stay home. Uh, it's all available January 16th and 17th. And if you missed that one, uh, you're listening to this after the fact. Don't worry. Uh, we'll have another free weekend in February with some new courses there. Uh, also coming up, and it's actually happening today on the day that this podcast is released, uh, but again, uh, will be archived, uh, is a big webinar, uh, Top Search to Get You Started. It's with Anthony Sequeira and Chuck Keith, better known as Network Chuck uh, from YouTube, uh, big uh, YouTube celeb. So uh, you'll be able to check that out on Thursday, January 14th at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, you can register it at um, itpro.tv slash webinars, and that's where it will be archived as well um, soon thereafter, just a couple days after that webinar goes live. So check that out. And finally, uh, Technado fans should head over to go.itpro.tv slash Technado. You can get a 30% off coupon code for the lifetime of your subscription year for your personal plan. And you can also request a Teams trial and find out all the great features available to Teams at go.itpro.tv slash Technado. All right. Well, thank you again to Preston for joining us today from Fortified Health and... Uh, I'm surprised we were able to navigate those last two stories uh, without just an all-out <laughs> brawl in the studio because that's it seems what happens. Sure. Take it from us, America. America. Learn how to compromise. Yeah. Come together. Yeah. <laughs> the easiest way is to avoid Just avoid the, the topic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Next week we'll be talking about religion and uh, <laughs> go from there. Sounds good? Yeah. It'll be fun. Final thoughts? Yeah. yeah. All, right. all right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you next week right here on Technado with Don Pazette. Bring your rosary. <laughs>